But right now, we're going to turn a corner because it's time to go into our message. So if you have a bulletin, you can flip over to the backside and follow along with us. We're talking about the Christmas journey. The word Advent, which is a word that I grew up with in my culture of the Methodist Church, Advent is a season of Christmas. Advent means arrival or coming. Advent is also the very beginning of the word adventure, a journey that's inspiring, that's exciting, that's, that's bold and sometimes a little bit dangerous and is so descriptive of the journey Jesus took at that very first Christmas, a journey that began in the realms of heaven and came all the way down to earth when he became a baby in a manger. But it goes beyond that. His journey didn't end that. His journey took him from the, the crib to the cross. And it didn't even end there because ultimately Jesus wants to find a way into your heart and my heart. But it also is a descriptive word of our own adventurous journey when we choose to follow Jesus as our Savior and Lord. He takes us on this exciting, inspiring, wonderful journey called the Christian walk. And I am so glad that when I was 16 years old, <clears throat> excuse me, 16 years old, I was able to begin that journey in my own life. For some of you, you need to begin that journey. And for some of you, you need to know that Christmas is really about that journey. When I was a little boy, my favorite song at Christmas time was Away in the Manger. Away in the manger, no crib for a bed, little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. And I was always touched by this little baby that was laying in the manger, thinking, oh, how precious Jesus is. But I didn't realize at the time that it's not about a baby in a manger, though that's a piece of the story. It's about, it's about a, a, a God who became a baby so he could become a man so he could die for our sins. Because without the death of Christ, Christmas loses its meaning. There is no joy to the world without Jesus going to the cross. There is no reason to come let us adore him if he doesn't rise from the dead. And there's no reason to, to hark for the herald angels to sing if God doesn't reconcile sinners to himself. And so it's so critical that at this Christmas season that we understand very clearly the core message of Christmas. And that is my hope for you today, that you walk out of this place saying, I get it, I understand what it's all about. And for some of you, today could be a day of transformation, a day you begin a journey that changes everything about your future. I want to do my best to make this as simple as possible so that the youngest child in this place to the oldest person in this room would understand the simplicity of the Christmas message. So I'm going to ask if you'd pray with me as we get ready to open his word. Father, thank you for the beauty of the story. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand with clarity and with excitement the joy of Jesus coming to die for our sins. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read in this very first chapter, after the genealogies of Jesus, the, the story of the birth of Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. 
and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, most beautiful name ever given. A name that people do not give to their sons unless they live south of the United States in Mexico and have a son named Jesus. But, but Jesus has such a unique uh, meaning to us, a sacred meaning. It's such a, a beautiful name. It's, it's a name that means the Lord saves. It's, it's an equivalent to the Old Testament name Joshua. And actually, in the time of Jesus, it was a pretty common name. It was a common name. You know, a lot of us, when we have babies, go through those books and we try to find a name for our kid. We, uh, we want a name sometimes that's very unique. Uh, we'll, we'll even change the letter like a Y, uh, turn an I into a Y or spell it different so our child is unique. Or some of us have ideals in our minds that when I name my child, I want my child to fulfill a certain dream I have. Maybe a dream you couldn't fulfill for yourself. Or, or maybe you have an aspiration that your child follow in your footsteps and sometimes even literally take over the family business for you. But we have all these expectations of our kids and what the name might mean. But honestly, we don't know if that's what our child's going to be like. You know, our, our children have d- very unique passions and desires, and they unfold over the course of time. But Jesus was very different because Jesus' name really framed in who he was to be. It, Jesus didn't get to choose a lot of different options. It was, it was this very meaning. You are to call him Jesus for this reason. And that name is the name that we call on to be saved. It's the name that we pray our prayers in. It's the name that we're baptized in. It's a name that our, our grandson learned to say about a year ago. And it's so easy to say, Jesus. And because it's so easy to say, this week, a woman in our family, a relative, close to 90 years of age, one of the last words that flowed off her lips before she died was, I see Jesus. There is no name you'll ever encounter that's more powerful than the name of Jesus. There's no name that is sweeter than the name of Jesus. And at Christmas, when we're burdened with finances and travel and expectations, I just don't want you to miss out on the fact of how beautiful it is that God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins. See, there's a lot of things we could try to convince you of at church. You know, we've got a great program, or, or you ought to come hear the awesome worship team, or, man, you ought to hear this pastor teacher. Uh, we, could, we could try to promote all those things, but honestly, the only thing we really care about in our church is that you come to know Jesus because everything else will, will, will fade away. But the one thing that lasts forever is your relationship with Jesus. We want you to know him. And, and the truth is, many of us can go to church years, and I'm one of those. I went to church for years, and I knew the name Jesus, but I didn't know why he came. I didn't know that he came for me. I didn't even know that I had a great need for him. I just knew that he was a wonderful person that I loved and loved to sing about. And if you don't know him personally, before you leave today, we're going to give you an opportunity to give your life to him. Jesus, not only the best example of what it's like to be a human being, Jesus, not just the great teacher who taught unlike any other person. Not only is he Jesus, the great miracle worker, he was all those things, but, the, but at the top of the list, he was Savior. Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Why he came is defined in his name. Jesus means the Lord saves. Never, ever forget that. So it raises some questions. Who does Jesus 
want to save? Or who did he come to save? Now, in his day, there were categories of people, and you can read about them in Scripture. In fact, there's, there's a group of people that were known as sinners. Jesus hung out with them. Jesus talked to sinners. And these are people who, who were very obvious sinners. I mean, they knew they were wrong, and, and, and everyone else knew that what they were doing was wrong. These were what we call obvious sinners. They're aware of their sin, and, and they don't necessarily even try to hide it. If you were a guy, the top of the list was tax collectors. If you were a woman, at the top of the list was prostitutes. And so Jesus hung around tax collectors and prostitutes, obvious sinners, people who knew they were wrong and still continued to do what they did. Maybe there were pressures and economic reasons, but they did what was wrong. But the rest of the people were kind of like the good people. Now, we have our list too. I grew up and, and I thought good people went to church and bad people didn't go to church because the bad people were the drug dealers, the drug addicts, the pornographers, the rapists, the murderers, the thieves, the, 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 um, the you know, all the people that do this obviously bad things, the drunk people, all that. Those are bad people. We're, we're, we're kind of the good people. We're church people. So there's two categories of people. There's obvious sinners. You know, the, what they do is so obvious. And then there's us. Guess what? Jesus came and said, you're a sinner too. You have the same problem they have. They're obvious sinners. You're oblivious sinners. You don't get it. You don't think you're as bad as they are because of your pride or because of your ignorance. And yet Jesus came to expose the fact that there was only one category of people, and they're called human beings, and all human beings are sinners. And he leveled the playing field. And we see Jesus doing that as he's going among people, saying, you're not as good as you think you are. He, he sees people who, who think they're pretty good. See, our definition of bad people is this, people who do bad things. Jesus said, yeah, those are sinners. So are the people who don't do the good things. And then he said, here's an example. There's a rich young ruler. Said he loved God, said he loved everybody else, said he tried to obey God's commands in the Bible. And so Jesus said, okay, let, let's test it. Let's see how much you love me and how much you love the people I love. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He said, well, I can't do that. Jesus said, then you must not love me or my people as much as you say you do. See, it's easy to say you love God. It's harder to show it in lifestyle. Another time he said there was a man who's very rich, lived his whole life in luxury, and at his doorsteps was laid this beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And this man obviously didn't care for Lazarus, didn't reach out to help him or meet his needs. And, and when both of them died, the tables were turned. Lazarus ended up in Abraham's side. And the rich man ended up in this place of agony and torment. And he cried out saying, hey, why am I here? And he was told, in your life you had good things. And Lazarus suffered. And now it's the other way around. Implying the fact that you didn't seek to alleviate his suffering. All you cared about was your own comfort, your own care, not the care of others. And so now I'm going to care for him in eternity and you're going to be on your own in this place of separation. See, Jesus pointed out in a number of cases that, that there are people around us who have needs, the poor, the imprisoned, the sick, the hungry, all these. And he said, when you, when you love them, when you reach out to them, you're doing it to me. And when you don't, you, you commit a sin of omission. It means you didn't do the right thing. You can sin by doing the wrong thing. You can also sin, Jesus said, by not doing 
the right thing. But you can also do the right thing, he said, and still sin if you do it for the wrong reasons. There's a class of people that he targeted called Pharisees, very religious people. They were looked at in their society as the, as the best people around. I mean, they, they obviously love God. They dress the part. They say their prayers out loud. They, they give to people. They, uh, they fast and, and they, they tithe. I mean, these are good, good, godly people. And Jesus said, no, they're not. It's all a show. It's all a facade. In fact, Jesus has a word to label them. He calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrite in Latin is a word used for someone on a stage who puts on a mask. It means that they're just performing. So what Jesus was saying is they're not as good as you think they are. It's all a facade. It's all a show because it's all about themselves, not God. When they get the praise of men, that's what they're after. They're not after God's glory. And so Jesus was actually harder on them those that were oblivious to their own sin than he was on the obvious sinners. See, it's a worse thing to, to sin and not know it than it is to sin and know it. Because if you don't know it, you won't turn from it. You won't recognize your need or your problem. Matthew 23 is a whole chapter where Jesus seven times tells the Pharisees, woe to them. But then, then a little bit later in that same chapter, he doesn't call them hypocrites. He uses a different name. You snakes. Now, think about that. Who was the snake? You're being like the snake. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? So these, these people who by society standards were the good people, they were the worst in Jesus' eyes because they did not recognize their sin. They were dragging other people away from God, and they had judgment written all over their future. Now, if those are the best in their culture, what about our culture? When our culture says, oh, that's a good person, that's a good person, you're okay that way, don't listen to the culture. Listen to what God says. Because, because if Jesus is going to forgive us of our sins, the first thing we have to recognize is I'm a sinner. Here's what the Scripture says in Psalm chapter 14. Verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And see, here's the problem. I grew up in a church thinking I was one of the good ones. And maybe that's you. You think, I'm not that bad of a person. Not according to society. Not according to your friends or even your family. But I'm not asking you according to them. I ask you according to God. What does God see in your life? Does he see you as someone who's truly good? Because if Jesus Christ came to save sinners, then I must be one of them. Jesus didn't come to save good people. And if you're good, you can get up and leave church right now because you don't need it. You're, you're taken care of. But the truth is we're not good. We all need a Savior. Who did Jesus come to save? You and me. Now, why, why did he do that? Why would Jesus want to come all the way from heaven to earth to save us? Why did he just kind of brush us aside and say, let's all start over? Well, one is because he loves us and he knows we have a need we cannot meet. We have this need, this desperate, desperate need. And we can't fix it ourselves. 
A couple weeks ago, I was laying some vinyl flooring, and in order to fit some flooring in some tight spaces, I had to take uh, a, a utility knife and take that blade and with a, a metal ruler score a straight line. I had to press down pretty hard into this to get the, 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 the tough surface um, scratched, and then I'd do that a few times, put it over the edge of a table, I could snap it off. But here's the problem. Sometimes when I was running the knife through it, it would slip, and it would go off in another direction. And so I'd have to go start from the beginning again, and this time push even harder to make sure it didn't slip. But you know what? Sometimes it would follow that old path. And it'd be so frustrating because I'd, I'd get halfway down and whoop, said, there I did it again. Let's try it again. And I have to work and fight against that pull to veer off. And it, and it made me think of how easy in our lives is it to veer off path from what God wants for us, this straight line. And much of the time we're on the straight line. God, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm following what you want me to do. But then all of a sudden, due to pressure, due to, you know, we're not taking care of ourselves, we're getting kind of weak emotionally, we, we slip back. And you lose your temper. And vulgar, foul words come out of your mouth. Or you, or you go back to the bottle like you used to in that time uh, of desperation. Or maybe as you go back and visit that porn site that you said you never would visit ever, ever again. How many of us, and I'm telling you, I'm one of them, find myself nine times out of ten doing what the Lord wants me to do, but then, oops, I'm right back in that rut. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to go back here, but I keep going back to the place where I've been before. And the fact is that I'm a sinner who can't fix myself. It's not like I've sinned once. I've got a habit that I can't break, and I keep stumbling back into those old patterns. And that's the danger of sin. Jesus said, whoever, whoever sins is a slave to sin. It means that you're trapped. You cannot get out. And that's what sin does to us. Some churches use the word depravity. It means that we're so corrupt inside that we can't fix ourselves, no matter how hard we try. Jeremiah chapter 13, 23 describes that. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Of course, the answer is no. Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. How can sinners live a perfect life when sin has become part just of your DNA, part of our fallen nature? We sin and we can't stop, and therefore we deserve a penalty. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Death means that we are separated from everything God has for us, separated from the blessings, from the life, from the future God has for us. Separation one time will happen between the body and soul. At death, they are separated. That is the curse of sin. These bodies will die. We'll be separated from the life, separated from the oxygen, separated from all this that God has for us because of our sin. In Isaiah 59, 2, it says, your sins have separated you from your God. It separates us here on earth, but even more in eternity. That if that sin is not addressed, we separate from God for eternity. So here's what, here's what many people do. The solution then is, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to turn my life around. I'm really going to try, to try to focus on following God with my life. And so it's kind of like school where you say, I've been getting Ds and, and Fs, and I'm going to bring my grade up, and I'm going to really work hard to get an A. Because if I get an A, surely God will be happy. So there's, there's a... There's a few fallacies with that. One is that we even know what an A is. We think we know what an A is. We think we know what it looks like. But honestly, when you compare it to what Jesus thinks an A is, it's not even close. And we think that an A is 90% to 100%. Or maybe, maybe you have a tighter 
uh, curve. It's 93 to 100%. That's an A. If you get in that category, those are the ones that God will look down and say, okay, all the A students, you get to go to heaven. But the problem is we don't know what an A is. And even if we did, it, it wouldn't be sufficient because the, the A in God's eyes is this, 100%. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, anybody want to go by their grade and stand before God and say, God, look what I've done? Problem is we can't. We don't deserve heaven. We haven't earned it. We haven't qualified because of our sin. And so we have a problem. I sin and I, and, and I can't stop and I can't fix it. So what am I going to do? How am I going to change this? This is where God comes in. Why did Jesus come? Because we had a great need, but more importantly, because God in his own nature is merciful. God's will is merciful. He wants to be merciful and gracious to us. That is his, his bent. In the book of Psalms, David wrote, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That is the heart of God. God's not some judge looking to bring the hammer down on us. God says, I want to be merciful to you, which means I don't want to give you what you deserve. In fact, I want to be gracious to you, which means I give you more than you deserve. I give you better than what you deserve. That's my heart toward you. I want to be like that toward you if you allow me. That is God's desire. In other religions, God does not act on your behalf. You have to earn God's favor. And so you can look at almost every religion in the world. It's very similar. Here's the pattern. You do these five things or you do these three things or you're consistent with these rituals and these prayers and these habits, and every, everything you do moves you higher up the ladder to get closer to God. And that's how you get close to God. You work your way up the ladder. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't work. We are stuck at the bottom rung. And so Jesus came down the ladder, descended to earth to become like a man, to come down to our level, to be identified with sinful man so he could meet us at the bottom so then he could die for our sins and bring us up with him. That's what he's done for us. That's what he wants to do for you and for me. He wants to be merciful. I learned last night on the news that there's a group in Colorado Springs, and maybe someone here is part of it, 4 by 4 Rescue and Recovery. Anybody here part of that? I, I, I was impressed. I didn't even know they existed. It's, it's people with 4 by 4s who love their vehicles and the power they have, and on days like yesterday when there's all this snow, love to go out and help people get out of the ditches. And they help them for free because they know that some of these people are going to get stuck and they can't get out and they'll be taken advantage of by tow trucks. And so they said, we don't want people to have to pay anything. We just want to be there to help them in their time of need. And I thought, Jesus is on a rescue and recovery mission. And it doesn't matter how deep in sin you are stuck. And it doesn't even matter how long you've been stuck. He says, I want to rescue you. I know that because that was his purpose in coming. You are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God loves. So in 2 Peter 3, 9, we learn this about the Lord. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You may think God's given you all these years to get it turned around. God's given you all this time to come to church to kind of learn it so you can figure it out and you could correct the course of your life. But maybe you've been missing the message. Maybe the message is God is giving you time so you would simply cry out to him to save you. And he is patient because he loves you. So how do we do that? 
how does, how does Jesus actually save a person? Well, two things had to happen. One of those is what Jesus does, and, and the other part is what we do. Part one is Jesus' part. It's very simply this. He died for us. Jesus died for us. That's why he came to go to a cross and die for us. It is the one thing he wants us to know about his mission on earth. In fact, he wants us to know it so badly that right before Jesus went to the cross, he had this dinner with his disciples. And during that dinner, it was, a, it was an ancient um, celebration called Passover. He took two of the items from that meal. And one was the flat unleavened bread. And he picked it up and he broke it and said, this now is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup of the fruit of the vine and he said, well, I'm going to actually say his words from the Gospel of Matthew. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know that every time we take communion as a church, the message of forgiveness is being preached all over again. It's the one thing Jesus said to remember. Remember what I did for you. My body broken for you, my blood spilled for you, remember that. Because that's why I came. I came to forgive you of your sins. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So he died for us so that we might live for him. That's our part. Our part is then to live for him. I got to summarize the whole Christian life simply as living for Jesus. Occasionally, when someone passes away, I'll get asked this question. You think that person went to heaven? That's a hard question for a pastor to answer. I, I don't really know, to be honest, with a lot of people. I have family members. I don't know if and when they die, if they'll be in heaven. But you know what? I've come to a very, very simple conclusion. And I think it's, it's pretty obvious. If someone wants to live their life for Jesus and with Jesus on earth, I believe they're going to live with him and for him in heaven. It makes sense. You wanted Jesus to be the leader of your life here on earth? You get to have it that way forever. And for those who say, I, I, don't, want I don't want to live my life for Jesus. I don't want to live my life with Jesus here on earth. Why in the world would God pull that person against their will into heaven? and make them live for him in heaven when they never wanted to before. Doesn't make any sense to me. God, God, even before Burger King came out with this, says, have it your way. Have it your way. You want me now, you get me forever. You don't want me now, you don't have to have me forever. It's really pretty simple. And my question for you is, are you living with and for Jesus right now? You don't need a ticket that when you die, you go to heaven. You need a relationship need a relationship with Jesus. And I, I, if I could just plead with you, if you don't have one, don't keep coming to church hearing it but not responding to it. The name of Jesus is so powerful, so beautiful, and he came to forgive you and me of our sins. The purpose of Jesus, why he came, is all defined in his name. The Lord saves. And he saves when someone calls on him. And it's a simple... I know I, I, I like to keep it real simple. I'm going to use this A, B, C, D. Admit you sin. Starts there. Admit that I have a need. I am in the category of sinners in need of grace. Believe in Jesus. 
Believe that Jesus died on that cross for your sins. But don't make it just a head thing that you believe. Call upon his name. Call upon him. Rescue me, Jesus. Save me from my sins, Jesus. That's what he wants to hear from us, that desire to be saved. And then die to yourself. You can't live for him without dying to yourself. And that's why baptism is such a powerful statement. Because when someone dies, what do you do with them? You bury them. That symbolizes the old me is no longer in charge. I'm under new management. Jesus is first in my life. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. I don't have time to talk to every single person, but I do want this. I want you to know that there is a God who loved you so much, he sent his one and only son. In the midst of all the craziness of Christmas, you don't want to miss out this message. You don't want to miss out on the true meaning of Christmas because in that quiet moment of these holidays, there's nothing greater for you than to realize God loves me that much. God loves me when I've turned my back on him. God loves me when I've been about me and not him. God loves me even when I've lived for myself and not him. And today, I get to change all that by surrendering myself to him. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, made a promise that was good then and it's good today, that all the prophets testify about this, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, the name of Jesus.